Well, good morning. Just, um, it's funny, I had all the things ready to go and then God speaks to you and, and, and reminds you of a few things just before you start, as it were. And uh, hearing everything that God has been saying to us this morning, which has just been amazing, it's almost as though he's looked about what he's asked me to speak with you today. But uh, he, he reminded me of Psalm 34, verse 8, which says this, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. And I thought, wow, that's exactly what we've been hearing about this morning, how God blesses us and the things that he does for us. Well, good morning. Uh, welcome to Crawley Community Church, which is nearly 40 years old, as you've just heard. Um, I just want to welcome you, especially if you're a visitor here today. And because I'm part of what's called the Connect Team, I just want to point out the Connect Team to you today. So if you are a visitor, uh, is Christine here? Yes, do you want to stand up for me, Christine? So our Connect Team, well done, Connect Team, for all the service you do. Most of them wear these kind of maroon shirts and, and they're the people to go to if you have any questions about the church or you want to know more, you want to know about joining the church. And they have these connected cards and this is to allow us to be able to connect with you and help you, help you in any way we can. So if you would like to see them at the end, I'm sure they'd love to um, share a cup of coffee with you. So, over the last couple of weeks, in fact... A bit further back, we've been going through the book of Galatians and we entitled the series, is it up there? Yes, it is. The Gospel of Grace. So before we start, can I just pray? Dear Lord, I just thank you for what you have been doing this morning in our hearts, Lord. Lord, I just pray, open our hearts more. Fill us with your spirit. Lord, help us to hear that small, still voice, Lord. Help us to love one another as you loved us. And help me this morning to speak your words to everybody so that they may hear your voice and not mine. Amen. So, just before we start, I thought it would be a good idea, especially if we've got some visitors, rather than leap into the section that I'm going to do, is just give you some background or a backstory, if you like, to what we've been reading, because I'm going to pick up it, the, the journey from chapter 6, if you like, the very last chapter. But there's five other chapters that went before that. So if you're a visitor, hopefully this will give you some context. And if you're someone who's read Galatians many, many times, hopefully it will serve as a reminder. So here we are. Here's a little bit of the backstory for you. So Paul was writing to the church in Galatia, at the time, mainly southern Galatia, and uh, that's in what we now call modern-day Turkey, to give you a reference point. And um, the church was experiencing divisions, and those divisions were quite serious. In fact, Paul says that those divisions, who he refers to the group as Judaizers, were preaching a different gospel. In fact, he goes on to say it's no gospel at all. Now, for those that don't know, gospel means good news. We're bringing good news. So if it's not good news, it's the opposite. And so Paul is really keen to make sure that they understand 
that there is a massive difference between these two Gospels that are being preached. And in fact, you can read a little bit as an aside story. You can read a little bit about this in chapter 15 of the book of Acts, if you want to go there. But Paul's writing to the church, and he says right at the beginning, he says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. And as I said, he goes on to say, in fact, it's no gospel at all. And it's so, this is such an important subject for Paul and for us that in chapter 3 he says this, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Earlier we were singing, I believe in God the Father, I believe in Christ the Son, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the resurrection. By believing, we receive the Spirit. In, what, in essence, what Paul is saying here is, it's by grace that we receive God and not by anything that we can do. In fact, this, this word of grace that Paul's putting at the very beginning of Galatians, he puts in another letter to another church in Ephesus, in Ephesians. And in Ephesians 2, 9 and 8 and 9, he says this, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this, not of yourselves, it is a gift from God, not by works that no one can boast. And in another letter to Roman, the church in Rome, in Romans 5, 1 and 2, he says there, this. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. So that right at the beginning of this letter to the Galatians, Paul is making sure there's an understanding of we come to God in grace. It's a gift from him. There's nothing that we can do to earn that. There's nothing we can add to what Jesus did on the cross. In fact, there's no need because he's done it all on the cross. Now, last week, pushing forward to uh, chapter 5, Neil, I listened... By the way, if you're a technology person and you miss any of these teachings or uh, Sunday mornings, we record them and they're on the church website. So, unfortunately, I missed Neil's last week. Sorry, Neil, but I did go on and listen to it on on the church website and SoundCloud. So you're, you're able to do that, but it was fantastic... Thank you for, for that, Neil. But I want to pick out two key things that Neil talked about in there and really precedes the, verse, the verses we're now going to go into. And that is that we're living in the freedom of God's Holy Spirit. And in fact, we've sensed that this morning, haven't we? God working through his Holy Spirit with messages and worship and stories. This is God working through us in the Holy Spirit. And in fact, in verse 18 of chapter 5, it says this, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. You see, law is about doing, but in the Spirit, we are free. And in fact, Paul goes on in chapter 5, and Neil very cleverly spent a lot of time in this area. The fruits of the Spirit, the results of living in the Spirit, are love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Very interesting what it says next. Against such things, 
there is no law. And it's from this point that we come to chapter 6. And I'm going to be looking at verses 1 to 10. But I'm going to take the first six verses first. So if you, if you want to follow along in your Bible or on your Bible app, we're going from Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 to 6. And this is what it says. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should gently restore that person or restore that person gently. But watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is not, he deceives himself. Each one should test their own actions. Then they'll be able to take pride in themselves without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. I just want to take that last verse first because this is one of the things Paul sometimes does in his letters. He's remaining with the theme that he's talking about, but there's like a little aside. And this little aside, he's talking about back then, uh, the apostles, the disciples, people who were teaching and preaching the word, didn't have a salary. And so they very much relied on the, the church, the group of believers, to help them. And that's really what the main theme of what Paul is saying is, that you know we're in grace, and so therefore we should share all our good things with, with those uh, who are teaching us. By the way, I'm fine. I've got a job at Tesco, so I don't need anything, all right? So uh, just to make that clear, I'm not asking for any money. So let's go back to verse 1. The Greek word that is used there in verse 1 of, of chapter 6 is adelphos. And this Greek word means brothers, brethren, brothers and sisters, family. And this is so important. Paul hasn't put that in there by accident. He's put it because he's setting the scene for you. He's saying, we're family. We're family. So that if anyone is caught in sin, we who are living by the Spirit of God should gently restore them, being careful not to get entangled in the sin ourselves. But we're doing it as family. That's our starting point. This isn't some stranger we know nothing about. God's saying, you know, we're, we're, we're family. And because of that, we should be carrying, helping to carry each other's burdens. Why? Paul says, because we fulfill the law of Christ. Okay, this is the interactive bit. Anyone want to gesture forward what the law of Christ is? This will be interesting. All the hands go up, no one wants to be. Love. Kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. It definitely is love. In, one, in some ways, there's a lot of right answers to this. But what I'm referring to is when they talk about the law of Christ. If we go to Matthew 22, 37, 40. Look at that. Do you see how I looked at the screen? It's brilliant. Let's see. It says this, love, Jesus is asked, what are the greatest commandments? Yeah, he's talking about the law as it was then for the uh, nation of Israel. And Jesus replies like this, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's interesting, especially in today, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second 
is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. And I love the way that it never ends there. There's like a statement there, followed by all the law and all the prophets hang on these two commandments. And so that's what is being referred to when Paul talks about the law of Christ, to love God with everything we've got and to love each other, our neighbour, as we do ourselves. But in this, we're also, with, from this point of, of love and grace and supporting each other, we are gent- looking to gently restore each other. In fact, if we go to 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19, thanks Ben, um, it says this, All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us a ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to, uh, in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he committed to us a message of reconciliation. Wow, what a job description. Sometimes we talk about evangelism, don't we? We conjure up all these things in our mind. Oh, I'm not sure if I can do that. Maybe if we looked at it in a slightly different way, you know, it says here we've been given a ministry of reconciliation, a message of reconciliation. That's a message of love. That's about restoring someone, restoring relationships with each other and restoring relationships with God himself. That is our God-given ministry. And in that, we we can be, uh, carry each other's burdens. And so our heart should be love-seeking to reconcile and restore just as Jesus did for us. Now, I want to demonstrate this with a story. Now, there might be a few people who are slightly my, more my age, so it's a kind of Max Bygraves thing, you know, I want to tell you a story. But for those who are too young, sorry, I know I just lost half the audience there. <laughs> I want to tell you a story. It's a true story. And some of you have heard it before. But the reason I want to say it again is because it is a perfect... I learned so much from it, but it's a perfect example of having the right heart. We can set out to do things, but not have the right heart. And when we're talking about reconciling people back to God or pointing them back to God, I think this story illustrates well the kind of not-quite-right heart, if you like. So... It's a true story. I've changed some of the names because this is a public forum and some of the people might not want their names out there in public. But uh, it was uh, quite a few years back now, Carol and I, Carol, my wife, we received a phone call from my sister, Louise. And uh, she phoned us up and she said, I've got a very good friend who we will call Jane, for the purposes of today, who sadly was going through a very messy, heartbreaking divorce. And she needed to get away. She needed some space. She needed some love. She needed some care. She just needed to get away. And so, of course, Carol and I said, yeah, come down, bring Jane with you. And Jane came down. And, uh, you know, the weekend as it progressed, we decided to watch a film. And the film wasn't actually that good. And uh, Jane said, what's that book over there? And I had a book. Now, some of you may know that I, one of my things is I love the kind of creation-evolution debate, but as Ken said two weeks ago, that's not the most important thing, as you are about to find out. But nonetheless, it is an interest of mine. And so she said, what's that? And I said, it was a book. It's called The Bones of Contention. It's a book put together by a paleontologist and a, a, and a few of his friends, kind of showing that 
you know, it doesn't have to be evolution, it can be something. And this was my topic, so I was getting all excited now. And Jane said to me, oh, you don't believe that, do you? Of course, we come from monkeys. And I say, the argument's not the important bit. The important bit was my heart in this whole matter. And I thought, great, here we go. I've done a few years of this. I'm, this, I'm bound to win this argument. And uh, we went on talking for about 40 minutes. Twice in that 40 minutes, God, through his Holy Spirit, said to me, Darren, tell Jane that I love her. In my head, I was doing something like, God, I've just got one more argument. I'm bound to, she's in a corner now. She's going to have to go, you're right. You see, but my attitude was wrong. A third time, God said to me, Darren, tell Jane I love her. Now, those that are Christians here and read the word know that if God tells you anything three times, you better listen. And by the grace of God, I did listen. And uh, I said, Jane, this is going to sound really a bit weird. Uh, so I hope you take it in the way I mean it. I said, but God just spoke to me. I mean, if you say that to anyone who's not a Christian, that's always a, a good start, isn't it? You know, so I said, God just spoke to me. And he said, he said, tell Jane that I love her. And I've been in places where atmospheres changed, but I've never, this, the atmosphere in the whole room just changed. Just changed in an instance. And she burst into tears. You see, what I couldn't do with my arguments, God, through his Holy Spirit, even working through someone like me, right, could go straight to the heart of the matter with Jane. God was wanting to reconcile Jane back to himself. I was wanting to win an argument. I wasn't being horrible to Jane, but that's just that kind of... This is what Paul is talking about in here, about us, by the Spirit, reconciling us, our, our brothers and sisters, back to us. We can pick this up, actually, in Romans 5.8. It says this, God, uh, But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, while we were getting it wrong, and by the way, no one can get it right, as I think you were saying earlier, Justin. You know, while, while, while we were getting it wrong, even while we're not even looking for God, Christ died for us. God was looking for a solution to draw us back to him. And that is what our ministry, our God-given ministry is. I just want to give you a contrast to that, because I know we all love the... Uh, what goes on the TV sometimes. So a kind of contrast to doing it right, so doing it wrong, would be something like this. You seek out one of the leaders, you know, Steve, Justin. You say, Justin, I didn't want to be the one that told you, told you this, but I couldn't wait. I've just seen somebody doing something they shouldn't do. You can see where that heart is, can't you, really? And then... Would you like me to come with you while you tell them? <laughs> In fact, I've got my phone here. What we could do is I could video it and we could put it on the church website. <laughs> you see, because sometimes we get tied up in the whole controversy of it all. We get tied up in that, I spotted it, I saw it, and that's the wrong heart. And just so we don't, I know no one in here is like that. I know none of you are like that. But just to show you that this is something that's been going on for thousands of years, you know, back in the book, uh, the Gospel of John in chapter 8, you can read about the woman caught in adultery. I mean, there's 15,000 sermons on this one subject. 
But what I find interesting is it's very similar to that attitude that I just said to you, in that they caught them in the act of adultery. Now, the right heart, filled with the Holy Spirit, probably would have stopped it in the first place. That's the right heart. But even after that, wouldn't have then dragged... I noticed they didn't bring the guy, by the way, but they dragged her, put her in front of Jesus, because they, they'd already judged her, and they wanted him to do the same. But what was Jesus' response? It wasn't the response they were hoping for, probably. The response he gave them was, let those without sin throw the first stone. And then he bent down and he wrote in the floor. And he got up again and he turned to the woman and he said, is there anyone left to condemn you? I'm paraphrasing, by the way, if you read it, it'll be slightly different to this. But is there anyone left to condemn you? And she said, no. And he said, in that case, neither do I. Go and don't sin again. You see, Jesus' heart is one of restoration to bring us back. And that should be also our heart. It's interesting in the church, 40 years in a thing. I've actually been part of this church on and off, up and down, <laughs> for since November 1990 I joined this church, when I think we were at Crawley College at the time. We've been so many places, I can't remember sometimes. Um, and I have received from this church many people, encouragement, prayers, and all of that stuff. I just want to give you one example, because it's, again, something that affected me so deeply and I hope that we'll let you know how to act and what seems such a small thing can have such a big, big impact. About, uh, it must be eight years ago now, I'd fallen away from the church. I use that term, it means I've stopped coming to church. I'd also kind of fallen away from God. I just want to say, he never fell away from me. He always had me in his sights, but I was not doing the right things. I wasn't happy, by the way, and my wife can testify to that. But I was away. And there were many people who encouraged me, but I want to pick out one. I've spoke to him before because I don't want to embarrass him too much. But Guy, every weekend, and I, I, I was away from the church for about a year, every, every weekend that he wasn't on holiday, would take our newsletter, a church newsletter. By the way, it's all electronic now, but we used to have a printed paper newsletter. He would take that on a Sunday because I wasn't there, he would write on it some encouragement and a piece of scripture and say, we're missing you. He would then fold it up, put it in an envelope, stick a stamp on it, walk it down to the post office and put it in the post box. So that every Tuesday morning, more or less, I would get a letter through the post box saying, we care for you, we're here for you, we love you. You know... I can't, it's so massive, I can't really, I haven't got time to tell you the effect it had. Not just on me, but my wife Carol, my mum and dad, everyone saw this small act. It sounds so small, doesn't it? But actually, taking the time to take something, write it, put it in an envelope, lick the envelope, stick it, and send it, you know, that, that it sounds like it's a little thing, but actually, he did that every week. Every week. And it changed my life, because eventually... I came back to the church with my wife, and uh, the rest is almost history. Um, but what a wonderful ministry of reconciliation. You see, what Guy was trying to do there was reconcile me back to God, back to the family, the church. And he, I just thank you so much for that, Guy, and uh, bless you. Um, so that's, with that in mind, let's, let's move on to verses 7 and 9. Have we got that one up there? 
Excellent. So, seven, verses 7 to 9 say this. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please the flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if you do not give up. Wow. What we, this, this, this verse for me is such an encouragement. It's also a little bit of a warning about where we spend our time and how we do it. But it's such, a, just such an um, encouragement. You know, when Paul says God can't be mocked, the kind of almost metaphor here is, that Paul's using is, is, is that of sowing and growing. Yeah, he says, if you sow to the spirit, if you sow to the flesh, and so on. So this kind of farming almost uh, metaphor. And so when, God, uh, when Paul says God can't be mocked, what he's saying is sometimes you can sow to something and not get an immediate reaction. So let's give an example. So, you know, when I'm a kid, when we were kids, maybe, our parents said to us, don't touch that fireplace. Don't touch that cooktop. Don't touch those white hot, coal, white hot coals in the barbecue. And what, what did we do, or what did I do? You go, and you feel a reaction immediately. But what Paul is saying here is God is not mocked. Because when you sow something, you don't always see an immediate fruits of that, if you like. We don't immediately see. So, so what Paul's saying is that God's not mocked because eventually there will be a reckoning. Or eventually there will be, as Paul says, a harvest. Well, you know, I was thinking about this. And uh, reap a harvest. Reap a harvest. So, yeah, we're talking about sowing a seed. You know, but a single apple tree seed doesn't just produce an apple tree, it produces apples on the apple tree, which are also full of seeds. You see, so when we sow something in God's kingdom, in due time, there will be this result. And uh, I just want to take that a little bit further. When Jesus was asked about the kingdom of heaven, in Matthew 13, have we got that one up there? Yes, thank you, Ben. In Matthew 13, verses 31 to 35, it says this. Jesus was asked, and Jesus replies, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in a field. Though it is the smallest of seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that birds can come and perch on its branches. Now, what I find amazing about this, taking up this theme that Paul started of sowing, sowing to the Spirit, yeah, and that seed, what I find really amazing is that God is now comparing his kingdom to a mustard seed. Can you imagine that for a minute? Here's the disciples. He's got it in his hand like this. And they, and they say, well, tell us about the kingdom of God. And he goes, it's like that. And he's got this little seed in his hand. And he goes, wait a minute, this is the kingdom of God. I was expecting sounds and flashes and, and everything else. But no, Jesus says, my kingdom, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. But when you plant it, it produces 
a harvest. No one plants one seed and, and gets one seed back, basically. God multiplies that. And we can pick up this theme, if you like, in the book of Philippines, uh, which is chapter 2, verse 5 to 9. It says about our attitude in all of this. In your relationships with one another, uh, one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking up the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance of a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient even obedient to death on a cross. And so here we are. It's this, a seed is submersive. It goes from the ground up, not from the top down. Now, God very rightly could be, and some people see God like this, by the way. Yeah, I can see it. That's how God, you're top down, right? I'm up here, you're down there. But no, that's not what we see. What we see is Jesus, being very God, humbles himself in the likeness of man and comes down to us to plant in us his seed of the kingdom of God. The other thing in these verses that are really important for me are the temporal and the eternal. And we, we notice that because it says that the, the uh, sowing to the flesh is going to reap destruction, yet on the other hand, if we sow to the Spirit, it brings eternal life. It's something eternal. It's beyond, not just now, but forever. As opposed to, you know, someone, I've had people say to me in the past, you know, when you're, for me, maybe looking at a car or a motorbike, you say, oh, it's, it's going to burn. <laughs> you know, there's an end to that thing, but there's no end to God. There's no end. It's, a t- it's an eternal blessing, and and uh, it also got me thinking about eternal life. Now, I, you know, some people see that as eternal existence. You know, we're not going to exist eternally in that sense. It, existing is not life. Life is much more than that. In fact, if we go to John chapter 10, verse 10, this is what Jesus says. He says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. That word full is probably the best English word we could use in a way, but it doesn't really say. In Greek, it's perisos, not perisos. God, we can say it. Perisos. And uh, perisos means exceedingly abundantly. You know, so you can already see the difference, can't you, between full, have life to the full. No, have it exceedingly abundantly. When we sow to the Spirit, we're talking about abundance. When we go the other way, we're talking about an end, a destruction. And so that's what Paul is talking about here. And so with that, let's go to the last verse. Verse 10. Therefore... As we have opportunity, let us do good, I just want to make a point of this one, to all people, everybody. doesn't say everybody, I've added that bit, but it's the same thing. Especially those who belong to the family of believers. 
What Paul is saying here is given the weight of everything, you know, five chapters plus the beginning of chapter six, God's grace, God's mercy, God's free gift and everything to us, given the weight of all that, then take every opportunity you have, whether you're at work, whether you're at home, whether you're on a bike, whether you're having food, take every opportunity to do good to all people and especially those who belong to the family of believers. So, by following his spirit, by following God's spirit, by sowing God's seeds to the spirit, and by doing good to everyone, and especially the family of believers, we are fulfilling this ministry of reconciliation that God has given us to draw people back to himself. Before I started, uh, before I came up earlier, I did really feel that there may be one or two people here that maybe haven't heard this message before, uh, this message that God is giving a gift. It's by faith that we receive Christ, not by something we do, because we all know, if we're totally honest with ourselves, and those are always refreshing moments, that none of us get it right most of the time. And even if we get it right some of the time, there quite often is another motive behind that. But God, remember that scripture, when we were still sinners, when we were still like that, when we were in a wrong place, that's when Jesus died for us. So in a minute, at the end when we pray, uh, I might take that a, a little bit further. So here's, here's the last scripture. It's, uh, it's not from Galatians, but I was thinking, there may be people here that are thinking, well, how can I play my part? Or maybe you know, and maybe you're thinking, what else can I do? And I just want to read this from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, verse 35 to 40. It says this, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him. Really, he's referring to us in the church. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? I love this. And the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. There's, we've got every opportunity to do. Stick a stamp on an envelope. Ask a stranger in to love one another. That's really the message from today. Joe, can I ask the worship team to come up? So I'm just going to finish in prayer, if that's okay with you guys, while they're getting ready. Lord, I just thank you for this opportunity to share your love, to share your heart. You know, I'm Again, reminded of the prodigal son running back to you, Lord. 
Well, he wasn't really. It was you running to him. And the father puts a robe on the child. Lord, that's your heart for us. You're looking for us to come back to you, Lord. And I just pray if there's anyone here today that can feel you tugging at your heart. You can feel God tugging at your heart. In fact, you know that something is going on in yourself. And I'm saying to you, that is God saying, I love you. Just like he said to me, to tell Jane I love her. He loves you. He wants you. He's tugging at your heart. You think you came here today for a variety of reasons, but you didn't. You came here today because God made it happen. In the church, we don't really believe in consequences. Um, coincidences. Thank you, Justin. We believe in God instances because God knows the beginning from the end. So if you're, if that's you, I just pray that you would come forward, speak to someone. We'd love to pray for you. And we'd also love to pray. If you're one of those people who is supporting someone, helping to carry a burden of someone and you're feeling tired, Think of that seed. It's not being wasted. It will bear fruit. There will be a harvest, as Amy shared earlier today. Four years, lots of support, lots of love. It bore fruit. God did what God does. Or if you're that person who feels, I'm not in the right place. I'm really sorry, like I was. I was away. And you don't know how to get back. God's waiting for you. Jesus is calling you. Maybe you can come forward too and we'd love to pray for you. Thank you and God bless you all.